Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... Shuriken Gazetta! (laughs) (laughs) Ninja! Yay! Oh, and we have an amazing episode for you. This one is fucking wild. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, But before we get into it, we have some news and reviews. Uh, the news is that you can find us on Rooster Tea. That was a pretty good peacock noise, if I do say so myself. Uh, yeah, you, can, <laughs> you and all the birds can find us on Rooster Tea's official website, or you can download the Rooster Teeth app on your Xbox, your smart TV, your uh, Amazon Fire Stick, wherever you got it, and watch us pretty much wherever you want to. Uh, that is again the Rooster Teeth website or the official Rooster Teeth app. Uh, and as far as five star reviews go, this one comes to us from Molly Face, uh, which I assume is the face you make when you take too much Molly. I can't feel my face. I'm Molly Face. My name is Molly. I can't feel my face. <laughs> Those were actually the original lyrics for that weekend song. Cannot feel it. Molly Face says, is this one of the funniest shows out there? Why does Paige make me laugh even when I'm grumpy? Is it because she's super smart and witty? I don't know, but someone should be asking these questions. Aww. Aww, that's not the time when I'm trying to make people laugh, when I'm smart. I'm trying to do it when I'm singing Kiss from a Rose with new lyrics or shit. (laughs) Uh, I would say that that's a pretty smart joke, Paige, because I understand it, and I'm a <laughs> smart guy. According to Scientology, sh- no. Sh- sh- <laughs> shut your fucking mouth. He's a smart guy. He just meant smart guy in that he's seen every episode of Smart Guy. And I think without any further ado, let's get into the show. Coca. I don't know what it is about them not liking it that makes me want to do it more, but I think this is the impetus for us doing this podcast. I will never stop. <laughs> don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits. And as always, these are our opinions. Thank you for tuning in to Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Cassetta! Yay! And it's Armando's week again. Yeah! Hello! Thank you for joining me in this uh, very long-lasting series on our uh, current president, Donald J. Trump. And the J is for genominal. <laughs> Oh my I god. thought it was for juicy. Ooh, no, he looks like the driest man on earth. <laughs> <laughs> like he looks problematically dry. Oh, well, his wife sure is. But oom. <laughs> Who gives a fuck about Christmas? <laughs> we are uh, entering part five of our series on Donald Trump and the MAGA cult. And this is going to be a very fun episode. Uh, Yay! 
but there is before we start i do want to mention a couple of things off the bat right away this is one of those episodes where i need everyone to remember that i'm the kid that used to jump off of ladders all right <laughs> we're gonna get into some uh political theory and some political science and uh, i have done my best to understand it as much as possible but it turns out american politics are a very complex subject what what it's almost like there's 40 million tv shows about it yeah and that no one can ever agree on a single thing ever Jesus. i thought house of cards was a documentary <laughs> yeah it's really actually there is a really great documentary um where it actually follows uh, a sitting american president as he falls mm -hmm. in love with someone in the white house uh, it's called the american president and it's not a documentary <laughs> at all and i love doing this every time <laughs> The dialogue is so good, almost like something straight out of West Wing. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I just want to make that clear that I have done my best to kind of summarize and make it as clear as possible. But when we do get to those parts, remember that I am also the guy that Scientology dubbed way below average intelligence. I forgot that happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nothing makes me prouder, to be honest. Very <laughs> reputable Scientology Center. <laughs> in portland oregon <laughs> nothing makes me happier than knowing that scientologists think you're dumber than tom cruise no, no, okay <laughs> specifically that scientologists thought that i was too dumb comma and broke to be a scientologist well they got one of those right for sure but you had plenty of money <laughs> <laughs> just kidding you're broke oh, oh my god <laughs> to, okay Oh, this is a quick question because yeah. does anyone else think like you know back in the day when you're a kid and there always be a villain in a movie about Christmas where it's just like some mean old lady that hates Christmas and you're mm -hmm. like that would never happen and then Melania Trump became the first lady <laughs> and you realize that those villains exist like does she skin puppies and wear them as coats like what else is she up to no, I think she's just been to the mall one too many times. Because I'll be real with you. I worked a number of mall Christmases. And I am a Christmas person to the core. And it almost turned me into an evil Christmas person. So, like, if you already have a propensity towards, like, who gives a fuck about Christmas? And then you, like, try to jockey for a parking spot with an old lady who's going two miles an hour. And you just mm -hmm. want to get there in time to eat at the food court before your shift starts. I get it, man. I get it. No one talks about it, but the Grinch actually worked retail for five years. <laughs> and his heart shrunk four sizes that day. The reason uh, he's green is because they kept dressing him up as a Christmas tree and it just stuck. Oh. No, he, he's green because he keeps having to work on his day off and he never gets to go outside. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so sad. Real, my last year in retail, I think I got like four days off the whole year. <laughs> it was really bad. Oh. oh you guys ready for the prequel the grinch who kept covering for monica <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my favorite memes is that twitter meme where it's like at my funeral, my manager at my funeral how could you do this to us we're so so short staffed and i was like <laughs> real where more than once someone's like i'm sick and you're just like are you bleeding from the eyes because if not get your ass to the store right now yeah there's definitely some ghosts haunting like a hot topic because they were too afraid to not show up for their shit. A hundred percent. I went to work sick for 10 years. It's bad. I feel like a ghost and a hot topic would actually up the value. Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
So uh, the sources for today's episode are, of course, the book Too Much and Never Enough by Mary Trump. Uh, but we also have 538's amazing series called The Real Story of 2016 by Nate Silver. If you want to learn uh, a lot of stuff about how, like, um, we had a huge misunderstanding of politics in the age of 2016, and this guy really lays it out there in a very easy-to-understand way. And so if you kind of want some background on why 2016 went the way that it did, definitely check out 538 series. We also have Politico's 2016 article on Donald Trump written by Michael Cruz. Uh, we have the Washington Post 1980 article on Ross Perot written by Richard Schenkman. Uh, and we have USA Today's 2016 article on Mike Dunbar written by Rick Hampton. So, in 1988, Donald Trump decided to run for President of the United States of America. Kind of. Because really, the whole thing was nothing more than a killer PR stunt. It was a way for Donald to build hype for his upcoming book, The Art of the Deal. But that's not really the whole truth. Because Donald wasn't the one who came up with the idea. That was a man named Mike Dunbar. You might remember Mike from last week's episode. He was the guy who thought that H.W. Bush and Bob Dole were both too boring to be president. And coming from Mike, that's saying a lot, because he lived in rural New Hampshire and his biggest passion was chairs. <laughs> you could call his assessment a thousand points of right, which is only going to be funny to people older than me, and I'm okay with it. Yeah, he... <laughs> Mike Mike Dunbar has like mad stepdad energy where he's just like always in the garage working on his next chair. Um, <laughs> he was he was known as a master woodworker too. Like it was just kind of the that's like his whole thing. Did we have the same childhood? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> Why aren't you the president already? <laughs> Is he my stepdad? What? However, Mike didn't admire Donald Trump because he had a bunch of fancy houses and even fancier chairs. Uh, in fact, as a master woodworker, Mike Dunbar was even slightly offended when he found out that Donald used a modern desk chair in his New York office. I'll be real, and this is just my personal insane sensibilities, but if you're like offensively rich and you don't have an Eames office lounger, then I do judge you a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I'm about to spend a good amount of money on, like, a new desk chair for myself because I am fucking done with just feeling like shit after sitting down. So, it wasn't any of the houses or the fancy shit that impressed Mike. It wasn't that Trump was more exciting. It was that he had a reputation for getting shit done. Mike Dunbar knew exactly what kind of a man Donald Trump was. He was a man who had somehow made a civil rights lawsuit disappear. He got a 40-year tax abatement on one of the biggest hotels in Manhattan. And he had even successfully proved that the NFL was legally a monopoly. For better or worse, Donald Trump was someone who cut through the bullshit and treated everything like a business. Including Doug Flutie's career, and that's why it started <laughs> off rough. Oh my god. So after we dropped last week's episode, my mom sent me like four paragraph long text messages about Doug Flutie. <laughs> and one of the things in the text messages was like, what kind of a mother am I for not teaching you the legacy of Doug Flutie? 
my favorite was I was talking to my dad right after that episode came out and he hadn't had a chance to listen to it yet. Mm hmm. And I was like, yeah, you know how Donald Trump ruined the career of Doug Flutie? And he was like, what? Who did what to Doug Flutie? <laughs> I was like, okay, just listen to the episode. He's fine. He's fine. He recovered. It's fine. Some of the things that I learned about Doug Flutie is one of the reasons he was so famous when he got drafted into the United States Football League was because he won a great game by throwing a, 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 a wicked Hail Mary, which is where you just fucking toss the ball as far as you possibly can in the hopes that somebody is on the other side to receive it. And that throw is what won him like a huge championship game. So already he had huge name recognition. Secondly, uh, Doug Flutie has an autistic son and so he sells a cereal called Flutie Flakes and a huge portion of the profits he makes from selling Flutie Flakes go to uh, supporting autistic organizations or, or uh, people that are trying to research autism in general. So he is all around an amazing guy. Fuck yeah, Doug <laughs> Flutie. It turns out we asked yesterday for what would a superhero like Doug Flutie look like. Apparently it's just real life Doug Flutie. <laughs> Regular Doug Flutie. <laughs> so you can still buy Flutie Flakes. I found boxes online for like $19. So fucking, yeah, I'm going to get some Flutie Flakes. I, I am totally down to try Flutie Flakes. I mean, I think I have displayed my propensity for being willing to try any cereal you put in front of me <laughs> on this show. Uh, and this will be no different. Anyway, getting back to the story, Mike Dunbar knew that Donald Trump was somebody that treated everything like a business. And like you said, including fucking Doug Flutie himself. And after Mike had helped three congressional candidates win their elections, he wasn't really happy with the current state of politics at the time. Mike was a member of a small but quickly growing group of Americans who had become disillusioned with politicians. To him, Washington was nothing but fake niceties and red tape. He believed that it didn't matter who you voted in because either way, the person in office wasn't going to get shit done. And that is why he wanted to bring in an outsider. So in the summer of 1987, Mike Dunbar became the world's first Trump supporter. <laughs> Unbeknownst to Donald, he began laying the groundwork for the businessman's 1988 presidential campaign. And some of these strategies even became the building blocks for later Trump campaigns too. For example, the importance of getting a head start. Over six months before anyone was campaigning in the primaries, Mike Dunbar was getting the word out about his man. He spent over $1,000 of his own money to launch a mailer campaign touting a potential run by Donald Trump. And to his surprise, it was a pretty big success. Every single person that Mike talked to had at the very least heard of Donald Trump or Trump Tower. The man was a big deal to the general public. He had been on the cover of GQ and Fortune magazine in the past year, so his name recognition was huge, or as Donald Trump would say, huge, with no H and several U's. But in politics, name recognition is one of the most important advantages you can have. This is something that I didn't necessarily know about beforehand, but makes a ton of sense, is that really the way that you get undecided voters is just by having your candidate's name in their heads at the time they go to the polling place. Like, that's really all it is. That's what the genius is behind all the Trump flags, all the Trump signs, shit like that. He already has name and brand recognition, and they're trying to 
to capitalize on that to get undecided voters to remember him when they go to the polls. I mean, I would put genius in heavy quotations there, but sure. <laughs> yeah, well, I can I can call what they're doing genius. It is evil genius, but it's also important to remember that most of these strategies come from other people that he was able to just like have in his corner. For sure. Unfortunately... When Mike wrote a letter asking Donald to consider a presidential bid, he got a reply from a Trump Organization spokesperson who said that Donald had no interest in getting into politics. This is something that I want to touch on again later, so just remember that Donald has a Trump spokesperson that generally handles his bidding. That's all you got to remember. Undeterred by the lack of interest, however, Mike started the Draft Trump for President campaign. The goal was to get as many people on board for a presidential run as possible so that when Donald eventually came around to the idea, he'd already have a solid fan base. I think this is also how we got Donald Glover as Spider-Man. Am I correct? <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I'm still mad that didn't happen. Donald yeah. Glover for Spider-Man still. Still. And again, surprisingly, this draft Trump campaign was very successful. Mike collected over 1,000 signatures from people pledging their support to Donald Trump, even though he was not interested in running for president. And what's really interesting about this, though, is how Mike Dunbar pitched the idea to these people. He didn't start off by asking them if they knew who Donald Trump was. He would ask them about how they felt about the current state of our government. How did they feel about things like political gridlock and the constant red tape of bureaucracy? What Mike Dunbar was actually looking for was people who felt just as disenfranchised as he did. He wanted to find people who were looking for change. And this is actually a tactic that we've seen before on the show, particularly in the Moonies episodes. We've all heard Donald Trump talk, right? It's fucking, it's weird, it's aggressive, and it is the farthest thing from politically correct that you could get. And sometimes you need somebody who is already dedicated to the cause to act as a preface so that your cult leader doesn't come off as too crazy. So much like Young Un Kim did for Sun Myung Moon, Mike Dunbar acted as a disciple for Donald Trump. He did the legwork, and he all but guaranteed him a spot in the New Hampshire primary, and he was even able to build up a solid supporter base of over 1,000 voters. And all of that was done, again, after Donald Trump publicly stated that he had no interest in running for president. So this is one of the weird things about the, the, the Trump uh, cult, right? Is that if we're looking at it from this perspective, it started because one guy got it in his head that this guy might be a great savior and he just kept building him up and building him up and building him up in a way that like when he finally decides to come over, he doesn't even have to do that much work. It's already done for him. So... You can imagine how surprised Donald was when Mike presented all of this to him in early September of 1987. Without lifting a finger, Donald had built a fan base. And with the art of the deal hitting shelves next month, he would be stupid not to capitalize on the exposure. He's also stupid for a bunch of other reasons, but he would be especially stupid if he didn't do this. Donald had no idea where to begin, but Mike Dunbar promised that he would lead the way. 
The first thing that Donald needed to do was to switch from Democrat to Republican. And that was actually a pretty easy move because by Trump's own account, he was only a Democrat because he believed that Republicans had historically ruined the economy. And he didn't mean that like scientifically. Trump thought of the Democrats as like a good luck charm for the economy. He basically had the same amount of respect for Democrats as like stepdads have for that pair of tidy whities they wear all football season because they think it's going to help the eagles make it to the playoffs <laughs> so they think they're really smelly yeah exactly they can smell it from here and it smells like victory <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the eagles can smell my underwear and it's making them want to win victory not as delicious as you'd think <laughs> no, not as good as the flavorful taste of Flutie Flakes. Flutie Flakes, available on eBay. <laughs> but yeah, it's not, he doesn't have any science to back this up or even any like reasoning. He just, in his mind, he was like, every time we have a Republican president, I feel like the economy goes bad. So I just want a Democratic one because that's when the economy is good. That's, that's it. There's no reasoning behind it. It's just the way that he thinks about the world. So you're saying that Donald Trump doesn't think before acting. Yeah, okay. exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. to be clear, you know. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I I mean, we've done about four episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that can kind of back that that uh back that thing up, but back that facts up. Yeah. <laughs> you will find motherfucker when you back them facts up. <laughs> <laughs> I want this. After you tell me facts, then stop the work, 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 drop them like it's hot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Secondly, Donald needed to make a big move nationally. The draft Trump campaign had been pretty damn successful, but those voters were only in New Hampshire, which is a state so boring that I literally forget it exists unless I am actively talking about New Hampshire. Um, also, for reference, uh, I thought I might offend a few people. New Hampshire is only 0.002% of our listenership. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening from New Hampshire, you are an anomaly and we love you. <laughs> you're the only one, potentially. Yeah. We're working on a compound to get you out of New Hampshire. We will save you. I, don't e I can't think of a single fact about New Hampshire. To back this opinion up, I did like a cursory Google search for most forgotten states. And apparently the number one most forgotten state is Missouri, which blew my mind because that would be one of the first ones I would think of. Yeah, well, we the three of us have been to Missouri together twice. Oh, that's true. And that's loved true. it. Uh, New Hampshire is the setting for the worst vacation my husband and I have ever been on. So. <gasps> Really? We, I will never forget New Hampshire. Why did you go there for vacation? For no, We went for a wedding and we flew into Boston and then drove to New Hampshire for the wedding. And then at the wedding, uh, we had a medical emergency and spent the rest of the time in the hospital. So like we were going to go to like Salem, Massachusetts and ended just all we ended up in New Hampshire the whole time. And it was rough <laughs> okay at God. least it wasn't new hampshire's fault though right i mean who knows who's to say <laughs> new hampshire come here to get sick and miss out on massachusetts <laughs> miss out on massachusetts yeah so in order to grab the country's attention donald spent over ninety thousand dollars on those full page ads in three of the biggest newspapers in the united states 
In his open letter, he laid out the basic tenets of his political ideology, the same beliefs that would later become known as Trumpism. Now, this is this is the moment that I would like to remind you that I am not a political expert. Uh, in fact, like most of America, I have enjoyed a gleeful ignorance of how our government actually works until pretty fucking recently. So just know that I'm summarizing this to the best of my abilities. I'm not a political expert, but I have done a lot of research for this episode. <laughs> Boo! <laughs> <laughs> um... So even though Trumpism morphs over time, and we will definitely get into that next week, it has always been a blend of nationalist ideals and modified populist messages. It's kind of like a, a it's kind of like a polyester acrylic uh, blended fabric, you know, like the Bible prohibits it, and yet we see it <laughs> everywhere. Yeah, we see it everywhere. Uh, it it wicks moisture away, but also makes you extra sweaty. And so it's just like... <laughs> oh my God, you're right. Uh, in the simplest of terms, American nationalism is the belief that the USA is the greatest country on earth. USA! 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 If I could suck the flag's dick, I would. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. I want to no, take no, no, no. all 13 stripes. <laughs> oh. Oh, why is the red in it? And every star <laughs> like a ninja star in my body. <laughs> oh, my okay, God. Okay, but how much cooler would the flag be if they were ninja stars? Right? It would be so much cooler. Although I did think that you were going to say, how much cooler would the flag be if it had a dick? <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you know what? Can flags have dicks? I don't know. Somebody should be asking these questions. I am posing that we... All right, here's the thing. We already almost influenced the new flag of Mississippi. All right? So there is precedence for this. I am thinking, yeah. what if we made America just a little bit more freaky? Literally let our freak flag fly. And we turned the 13 stripes into penises and the 50 stars into titties. Okay, I'm, I'm going to go... I'm going to walk it back just... Mm -hmm. a, a tad okay. because I I believe in the existence of a dick flag and I want us to have the best <laughs> chance for success. Okay. We now know how flags are made because of how we because of our involvement in Mississippi's flag vote. Yes. So we could potentially have a flag made. I want a cult podcast flag Ooh. that is dick themed. And the phrase should be, because you know when we did the Mississippi one, it had to say, in God we trust on it. Mm -hmm. The cult podcast one will say, cult podcast, let your freak flag fly. And then what is on this flag? We also still need to make our motorcycle patches because we did get some really cool ones. Oh, it's, my God. I feel like it ha there has to be the left half is yellow and the right half is white to represent the <laughs> pee and the cum balls. <laughs> the, the pee and the cum balls. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with you. I am with you, Andrea. And then I don't know. What else? What else do we need? We definitely need a ladder. <laughs> a, a ladder and a gator and a bag of wrap snacks. And, yeah. and then just a dick somehow. Yeah. Or, or at least balls. So we are calling on you, the cult podcast <laughs> people, to design <laughs> the next flag of your great nation. But if you create a flag, I want to know the symbolism behind everything that you put in the flag. Yes. Yes. yes please. please. Yes. We want a art manifesto level of... <laughs> 
explanation for symbols that are vague and only possibly present. That's what we want. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, please send uh, all flag drawings to cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. Please, yes. please, 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 please. And if you do want to do a version with shuriken stars and dick stripes, I'm here for that as well. I would also love to see that. Um, and, you know, get wild with it. Maybe Puerto Rico's the 51st shuriken to join the <laughs> union or whatever. <laughs> oh and literally, God. let your freak flag fly. This is such a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> the 51st shuriken. Oh, my God. So <laughs> <laughs> we got to name this episode. What if the flag stars were ninja stars? <laughs> So getting getting back to our story, in his open letter, Donald suggests that we make our quote-unquote so-called allies pay for the protection our military provides them. He also really insults the Japanese people and their methods of doing business. His message was blunt, rude, but very simple to understand. He wanted to keep business in the U.S. and he didn't want to lift a finger on foreign soil until we saw a paycheck. Okay. That I mean, that kind of makes sense. It I, mm. it does and it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. Core concept: American jobs, very good idea. Uh, maybe a little bit relaxedness in uh foreign intervention, also probably a good deal. But basically, he was like, we should not actually be allies with anyone else in the world and america should just be a single autonomous section of the world that only looks after itself unless somebody else is paying us to do it it's completely unrealistic oh yeah 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 yeah. No sense. yeah i i also and this may be an unpopular opinion that's fine i don't care um america has been blessed with great wealth and with that comes responsibility because we are one earth, you know, and we have fuck tons of money. And a lot of that comes from exploiting other places on earth. Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, that's imperialism. That's it. Yeah, that's yeah, that's it. what it is. It's not blessing, it's yeah, theft. And that's I what feel it is. like when we have the means to help people and when we can, it's our duty to help as much as we can. I, I understand that that's not everything and we shouldn't be the world police. I get it. But at the same time, it is incredibly selfish for us to demand that nations that we have benefited off the backs of their work pay us for us to help them. I, I understand reaching some sort of an agreement, some sort of quid pro quo, sure. But the demand for people to pay the richest nation in the world money for protection just makes us a crazy autocracy over the world. And that's yeah. nuts. And also, to be clear, he didn't want to stop the the foreign intervention that we already had going on. Like, he wasn't like, oh, yeah, pull out of other countries, come back home. He was like, no, nah, keep that shit up. We should just be getting paid for it. That's it. Yeah. Like, that was his view. So he didn't want to actually solve any problems. He just wanted to make money off of war, essentially. Which is also something that his fucking dad did way back in the day in sort of a different degree. But, you yeah. know, seemsies. So that that is, in a nutshell, his nationalist ideas. However, his populist beliefs are a bit more complicated. Again, in the simplest of terms, and I'm, I know I'm going to fuck part of this up, so I'm very sorry preemptively. 
Populists believe that America is split into two groups, the people and the elites. And while this term generally focuses on the wealth gap in America, Donald added his own fun spin to it. Playing off of Mike Dunbar's pitch, Donald suggested that Americans were either the people or the politicians. Politicians were polite and well-spoken. This meant that elections were basically just popularity contests to see who would get stuck in political gridlock. But if we elected a businessman, they could run the country like a business and actually get shit done. You mean a business by frag flagrantly disobeying the law yeah it, it's weird when people want someone that quote unquote cuts through the red tape because in a lot of ways what they're saying is that all of the systems of checks and balances that we have set up so that crimes don't happen are something that we want to get rid of yeah exactly and this is actually where trumpism starts to change later on and again like i said i'll get into more detail next week but he is he has been described even by the republican party as an authoritarian or a casual authoritarian who is somebody that has a disregard for the first amendment and really wants everyone to just kind of like let go of checks and balances so that a strong leader could get shit done so you are completely right in that a lot of his political beliefs later on kind of become this idea of like well if you just gave me unlimited power i could <laughs> fix everything which is also the game plan of fucking emperor palpatine so shut the fuck up dude yeah i feel like it is casual authoritarian is just hitler wearing loafers am i wrong <laughs> he's, he's a casual authoritarian a casual authoritarian is william barr the current yeah. Uh, attorney general because oh, he believes well, in the absolute powers of the president former attorney general now yeah that's true because he just resigned yeah oh shit oh my god yeah. but yeah that is that it, you are you're hitting the nail on the head exactly that that is uh that is exactly what he's doing but i also want to point out that it's it's almost insulting to call this idea of like splitting america into the people and the politicians uh, it's it, it, to call that like a populist idea, because remember that like the populist idea we all might be the most familiar with is like the Occupy Wall Street movement of like, fuck the one percent. We are the ninety nine percent fighting for equality, fighting for uh, for justice. So when he brings up this message. It's it's got the same energy that groups like that had, but he's trying to focus it by saying that politicians are the ones that are actively hurting Americans. What set Donald apart from other nationalists and populists, however, was his tone, because he didn't talk about his ideas like they were suggestions, which is how I would say most politicians talk about it. They're like, I want to do this. I think the right thing to do is this, etc. Donald talked about his ideas like they were the only solution to a quickly approaching apocalypse. In fact, here is a direct quote from Donald Trump. If America picked the wrong candidate in 1988, quote, you're going to see a catastrophe in the next four years like you'd never believe. Then you'll be begging for the right man, end quote. And that's, you know, a quote that we went over last week, but the message was clear. If we didn't make a change soon, we were all completely fucked. You might have thought that the cult of Donald Trump started in 2015 when all your weird relatives started getting weird on Facebook. 
But the truth is the doomsday predictions and Messiah complex that he has dates all the way back to 1987 at the start of the 88 election season. And even back then, people were eating this shit up because they knew it was time for change. Almost immediately after the open letter was published, the media covered it to death. Political experts warned us of the grave implications of Trump's ideas, while others used it as proof that the American people wanted to become independent. But the question on most people's minds was, is Trump, the businessman, really going to run for president? I think it's so interesting because we've seen again and again that our two-party system is problematic. Yeah. But we don't have any clear solution. And so I feel like in so many ways, like what Trump is doing is he's just taking advantage of all of the fear and all of the anxiety and all of the things that are already existing. Exactly. It, that is exactly what he's doing. And he also, after the media storm happened, he played it perfectly. In the weeks following his open letter, he gave as many interviews as he could, but he never confirmed or denied his intention on running for president. In fact, he told People Magazine, quote, he was hoping that some politician sitting on his ass in Washington would read his letter and say, that's a great idea, end quote. So he just did photo shoots where he had a sexy secret and you never knew if he was running for president or not. <laughs> yeah. Where he just has like a little smile and he's like, I'll never tell. Mm. Yeah, anyone who's looking for a straightforward answer was met with a boilerplate response from that Trump spokesperson we talked about earlier. The, the, the response was something along the lines of, quote, there is absolutely no plan to run for mayor, governor, or United States senator. He will not comment about the presidency, end quote. Yeah. yeah, that's that's like if that's like some high school shit where you're like, hey, man, do you like uh, do you like Jennifer? And then your friend comes over and goes, he has confirmed that he does not like Sarah, Monica or Kylie. <laughs> he refuses to comment about Jennifer. It's kind of like whenever celebrities get pregnant which here's the thing it's not our business but at the same time i love when people are like no of course not uh where'd you hear that i definitely have a new movie coming out <laughs> and then months later it's like delivers a baby boy <laughs> exactly exactly oh my god in the first week of october he told the new york times that if he did run for president he would most certainly win and a surprising amount of americans seem to agree with him all over the country, people like Mike Dunbar saw him as an opportunity for change. And that's why October 22nd, 1987 was such a huge day for Donald Trump. Mike Dunbar had set up the first ever Trump rally at a restaurant called Yokins in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. And before we get into the rally itself, which again is something that we lightly touched on last week, I have learned so much more about the location than I did last week. When I read about the rally initially, I figured that it had to be some like fancy pants five-star restaurant, mostly because it's also where the Rotary Club held its monthly meetings and it was seen as like a big deal in the community. But it turns out that the full name of the restaurant was Thar She Blows colon <laughs> Yokins comma good things to eat <laughs> what yep 
The locally famous seafood joint even had a big neon sign out front featuring a pink whale wagging its tail and blowing yellow liquid out of its blowhole. No. Why is it yellow? (laughs) Is it also a strip club? I need you to answer because like if you're going to name your seafood restaurant Thar She Blows and not have go-go dancers, what are you doing? What are you doing with your life? Paige, I'm afraid you didn't hear the full name of the restaurant. It is Thar She Blows colon Yokins comma good things to eat. Oh, no. Nope. Is 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 it a strip club? It look the sign looks and like buffet? a strip club. Here, I'm gonna pull up a picture of the sign because I want you guys to see what I'm talking about. Is it a clam chowder buffet? What? That's a that's a strip club. That is that is yes. A strip club. What? Why is that sign so neon? <laughs> there she blows. Yoke. That whale has a vagina. <laughs> Oh, my God. It is one of my favorite signs. I love it so much. Also, I just love the fact that this means, uh, technically speaking, that you could have attended the first ever Trump rally and ordered fish sticks at the exact same time. (laughs) That's just making me think of, like, because Kanye ran this year, that South Park episode where (laughs) Kanye doesn't understand the fish sticks joke where it's like, do you like fish sticks? You're a gay fish because when you stay, say fish sticks, it sounds like fish sticks. But Kanye takes it to a whole nother level and he's just like, I like fish because I am a genius. <laughs> oh, man. Could you imagine eating like hush puppies while listening to his drivel? I can't. It's no, ridiculous. It makes absolutely this sounds no like sense. People f- just cracking crab claws in the middle of his speech. <laughs> the only thing that slightly makes sense about it is that their mascot was a whale and he was talking shit about the Japanese. That's like literally <laughs> it. I just... This sounds like the first circle of hell. <laughs> it's just the smell of seafood, an orange man screaming about brown people. In front like, of a pink whale shooting piss out of its blowhole. Yeah, like Yeah, what? and there's <gasps> shooting piss. Okay, the steel dossier where he allegedly <gasps> likes golden showers. Oh, I feel think we is this the start of it the connection <laughs> you know what i don't know if that's true but somebody needs to be asking these questions <laughs> Paige, where did you get all of this red yarn and why is it everywhere all of a sudden <laughs> the other question i have is do they have cheddar bay biscuits because if i had to smell fish and listen to him surrounded by old people who don't understand geopolitical politics <laughs> I at least need carbs. If you are, if anyone's looking for a genuine answer, I wanted to try to find like Yelp reviews of the place, but it has since been shut down. Uh, Is it because it all tasted like whale piss? Because I feel like it suggests that there's whale piss on everything. I wish, I wish that I could tell you like some funny story, but apparently it was just like the owners realized the only people coming in were the same regulars every single day. (laughs) And they were like, yeah, we, we literally can't grow anymore here at Darshi Blow colon yonkins colon good things to eat so we're just gonna shut down the <laughs> people keep asking if we'll pee on them and like <laughs> that's not the kind of thing that we serve here anymore i know the signs anymore <laughs> or we will but only if you're the size of a whale we serve chubby people only Ooh, Ooh. Ooh. i kind of like it honestly i'm here for it 
Anyway, on October 22nd, 1987, over 500 people packed into a seafood restaurant with a weird whale mascot just <laughs> to hear Donald Trump speak. And this event, by the way, it still holds the record for the biggest political rally attendance in the county, even to this day. For reference, 500 people was roughly 2% of the county's entire population. This was a huge deal, or again, huge deal. How many of those were three fish standing on each other's shoulders in a trench coat? <laughs> <laughs> and then, they, yeah, it was the lobsters trying to like get out of the tank and just play it cool. <laughs> I've got hanging chads because I've only got pinchers. <laughs> I was trying to find out if they were do if they were like if that was like prime fish season two like i was trying to figure out if there was maybe some other reason like imagine just trying to go to that restaurant that day and being like wow busy day for lobster huh oh man and again donald played his role perfectly the entire time he was in new hampshire he oozed success and probably oozed something else but i, <laughs> oh, I can't if somebody whale piss. yeah yeah exactly somebody again i can't i can't for sure say that donald trump oozes whale piss but somebody should be asking these questions. Yes. I just imagine Trump is like a snail. And so he just leaves these like slimy trails everywhere he goes. I think you said that last week too. And every time you do, I believe it. Like I feel like it's accurate. Like the only wetness he has is gross, you know? <laughs> yes. I feel like it's that one character in Monsters, Inc. That's the giant slug that just like, Mike was asking, you forgot <laughs> to turn in your paperwork. And, except instead it's like, what if we injected bleach? <laughs> as long as it's not salt. Oh, man. Uh, so his helicopter landed seven miles away in front of a crowd of cameras, and he arrived at the restaurant in a pristine black limousine. And when he got out, the crowd went wild. And standing next to him, proud as ever, was Mike Dunbar. The timing was perfect. Donald was in the media constantly. The art of the deal was slated to hit shelves in just over a week. And three days before the rally, the stock market crashed on what is now known as Black Monday. The crowd fully believed Donald's warnings that America was coming to an end, and now they wanted him to save them. But unfortunately for them, Donald used his time at Darshi Blows Colin Yokins, comma, good things to eat. <laughs> I'm like a president, colon, with the way that I'm going to lecture you about why we should have America all the money. Oh, by Fallout Boy, of course. By Fallout Boy. Uh, he used his time to say that he would not be running for president. This was the first time that Trump supporters, and Mike Dunbar especially, was asked to face reality. After spending months planning, organizing, and basically creating the Trump campaign by himself, Mike watched Donald use it for publicity and then toss it aside when he got what he wanted. If it were any of us, we'd be insanely pissed off. But weirdly enough, Mike wasn't mad. In Mike's mind, the whole thing had been a success. Not only had he shown real evidence that part of America was ready for drastic change, but he believed that Donald Trump was just in it for the long haul. Or, as the Trump supporters say now, he was playing 4D chess. What he was really doing is he was doing exactly what Steak and Shake does, which is to advertise in cities where their food is not available, 
And then people are just like, I've heard of it. Now that one is coming, we want it. They don't even know what they're getting. They haven't even tasted it yet. They just heard about it. Yeah, Steak and Shake, the New Hampshire of burger joints. <laughs> that's that's how I feel about CeCe's Pizza because I've never actually seen a CeCe's Pizza, but I've been told that they exist by my husband. Oh boy, CeCe's Pizza <laughs> got me through some rough times. Where is there a CeCe's Pizza? There was a CeCe's Pizza in Chino Hills, uh, and it oh, was okay. the bane of my existence because for five dollars, you they would allow you to eat as much pizza as humanly possible. Like they would just let you eat as much pizza as your heart as your heart desired, or as your heart could, could literally <laughs> your arteries yeah. could take. Yeah. Uh, and every time I'm not talking like hyperbolically, I mean, literally every time I would get diarrhea. So it was a weird mix of like, yes, I can finally eat so much that I feel full, but also is not going to last because this shit's going to come out in a stream. Okay. It's because it's, the thing. it's a food with cheese on it and you're lactose yeah, intolerant. Yeah, exactly. It's not that CC's is bad for no. everyone. I took a lactate every single time and it was not only me that got diarrhea every okay. time. It was okay. everybody. It was okay. all of my well, roommates and friends. We would this all is like get it. The, this is like the Chili's Honey Chipotle Chicken Crispers, which... I, I have said on this podcast multiple times, Irish goodbye your body. We're like, <laughs> you're not even ready for it. You're just shitting and God help, like hope that you're near a toilet. Um, so I get it. <laughs> so yeah, uh, much like me eating at a CeCe's pizza, Mike expected to have some pretty shitty times, but he thought that eventually everything would be okay. And in November of 1987, he got his confirmation. Donald mailed him a signed copy of The Art of the Deal. And inside the cover, he included a personal message. Quote, you have created a very exciting part of my life. On to the future. No! Even in 1987, Mike Dunbar knew that one day... Donald Trump would run for president of the United States. This is a weird breakup story where one person's like, yeah, if we're not seeing anyone else in 20 years, maybe we'll go back together <laughs> and run for presidency. I mean, I have a list of people where like if the apocalypse happens and everyone else that I know is dead, they're my first call. But like that seems extreme. <laughs> I don't have that list. Should I have that list? You should definitely have yeah, that list. Yeah, you should absolutely have that yeah. list. And number one on all three of our lists is Jake. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, but see, here's the thing. I have to I have to consider a reality where where Jake died saving me from zombies. Ooh. Because I know Ooh, that he rough. would fight to the death for me. Aww. And so then I'm like, what do I do now? And how do I get more weapons? It's yeah. just you with an eye patch and McCready on your shoulder just roaming the Badlands. See, yeah, it, like the end of Planet Terror where <laughs> I just wear McCready in like a little cat bat pack and we just machete our way through the world. <laughs> See, uh, Andrea doesn't have to worry about that because I will definitely <laughs> sacrifice her to get away from the zombies. <laughs> Hurtful. I can run fast. No, I no, can't you run faster you. <laughs> You've got more I meat. If if you if you let the zombies eat you, she has a chance to get away. Okay. Yeah, but the problem is if I let the zombies eat him, then he becomes a zombie, then he eats me because I can't fight him as a zombie. Exactly. If, if I become a zombie, if me and Jake become zombies, we're like final boss level zombies. 
<laughs> we have special powers and can throw ghost gross goo at you and shit. Yeah, I mean, Jake already has a machete and a katana, so he'd be like an armed zombie. Yeah. It'd be you Armando know wild. Armando has a lightsaber, so he's like a Jedi zombie. and a Nerf gun. So what's up? <laughs> Responsible gun owner. <laughs> I keep my Nerf bullets separate from the Nerf gun. He actually so there's no does. accident. Actually, he actually does. What the fuck is wrong okay, with here's you? The thing, though. He actually does, but only because he is constantly shooting at the shooting them at me from across the room, and then does not pick them up. So they're just littered across our home. <laughs> Do you have that taped under your office chair? (laughs) See, this is why I know that things are going to go great once we can finally see our, like, rooster teeth cohorts in person. Because we're already armed for the ensuing ensuing nerf fight. Oh, yeah. We'll fit right in in Texas. I am an armed American. (laughs) Oh, my God. So, over the next two decades, more and more Americans were beginning to feel a lot like Mike Dunbar. People were fed up with the seemingly empty promises of politicians who never got anything done. And there was a quickly growing section of our population who decided that it was indeed time to bring in an outsider. And in 1992, that outsider was Ross Perot. Ross was a billionaire who headed a very respected company called EDS. And over the last few years, he'd earned a reputation as someone who did what he said he would. Unless, of course, we're talking about asking Rachel out. Because he never seemed to get that done. (laughs) They were on a break! (laughs) Real talk, though. Ross Perot is fucking nuts. And that is a whole side quest that I don't think you have full-on time for. But worth looking into if you want to know about the wildest side quests of people who have run for president. We are going to go into a small portion of Ross Perot's life, and even that amount is fucking buck wild. (laughs) Oh, my God. So one of the the best examples of Ross Perot being somebody who could, quote-unquote, get shit done was his 1979 operation in Iran. Before the overthrow of the Shah of Iran, EDS operated as IT support for the country's social security system. But with civil war on the horizon and a growing $5 million debt that was likely to never be repaid, Ross decided that it was time to pull out of Iran. Unfortunately, this really pissed off the Shah. So two of his employees were illegally arrested, tried, and sent to an Iranian prison with no hope of ever seeing their homeland again. According to Ross, this was a hostage situation, and he wasn't about to let some weak-ass leader fuck up his business. Yeah, I mean, this is just more evidence that the pull-out method is not effective. (laughs) (laughs) So he flew across the sea on his Dumbo ears to rescue them. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but uh, Andrea's right. Even when you pull out, some of your little guys are going to stay in. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. You got to really time it right, too. It is rough. <laughs> it is a race against time before the insurgents break through. Yeah. Well, I'm a good guy, though, because I always let her civil war before I civil war. <laughs> <laughs> 
So Ross had a small history of working with the United States military starting back in the Vietnam War. In order to bring attention to the numerous POWs, he hired private pilots to fly over Vietnam and drop supplies. He also helped fund a few extraction operations. But when he asked the military for help with his Iran situation, he was met with a bunch of red tape. So he decided to take matters into his own hands. He straight up hired an elite team of mercenaries made up of former colonels, marines, and army rangers who all had a bunch of combat experience. And then he worked with them to come up with an incredible plan. Ross decided to give them anything they needed and also just anything they wanted and basically handed them a blank check. They used his money to arm themselves and a large group of Iranian revolutionaries. Together, they would launch an attack on the prison and set all 700 inmates free. The revolutionaries were very on board for the idea because, like I said, civil war was imminent and the prison had become a symbol of the Shah's ability to lock up whoever he wanted. And on February 11th, 1979, the plan went off without a hitch and Ross brought the men home. The stories, especially the way Ross Perot told it, made our government look weak and uncaring and painted Ross as a man who is willing to do what it takes. So when he announced his intent on running for president on a February 1992 episode of Larry King Live, a huge portion of the country was more than willing to support him. Hold on. Isn't what he just did a criminal act? Uh, I don't know. A little bit. I don't know. Little, I don't know. You can have a little bit of crime like, as a treat. Yeah. <laughs> it seems pretty bad to just be like, I'm going to go above my own government to break into the prison of another government. He did, he it's did, vigilante he, justice yeah. is what okay. it is. Okay. He okay. didn't I want to be clear. He did not uh break into a prison. He destroyed a prison and let 700 inmates go and he let he led two of his employees. He told them to go ironically to the Hyatt Hotel that was down the block and then he and his fucking group of mercenaries extracted them and brought them home. So he kind of jump-started a civil war. Like, he kind of was like, let's give him a little boost. It was already very clearly going to happen. Okay. Uh, I don't know how much his funding actually would have helped in the long run, but he definitely, like, he helped an event in a, in a, in a country's history that will never be forgotten happen. Yeah, he definitely That's did intense. that. That's intense. Yeah. Yeah. It, yes. Yes, ma'am, it is. But it's okay. He knew it was going to turn out because he can hear the future. Yeah. He's got big ass ears and he's a very tiny guy. You should see pictures of him next to Bill Clinton. He looks so small. So cute. He looks like a literal leprechaun. <laughs> it's just so weird. I didn't realize business had so much to do with the military strategy. Well, it is when you're fucking people get taken hostage in Iran. That's so crazy. He also the way that he like phrases it is like weirdly kind of admirable where he was like they didn't do anything cuz they really didn't. Like yeah. they weren't yeah. they weren't doing anything illegal. They tried to pull out of the country because it was like, oh, shit's not looking good and then they got held hostage. There was no reason they should have been arrested and put in prison. Yeah. Um so Ross Perot's idea was basically like they were doing their job. I sent them there. I'm the one who got them captured. So it's my responsibility to get them home. And he did try to go to the government and was like, we need to do this. And they wouldn't help him. So he was like, I need to get them home. 
they need to come back. This is my fault and I need to fix this. Yeah, I mean, someone taking personal responsibility for their actions as a potential presidential candidate, like, that's impressive. Yeah. Okay, and I again, get that. He's a fucking crazy person and a very complicated guy, but sometimes he does these things where you're like, wow, f- good for you, Ross Perot. Okay, okay. So, like Donald, he insisted that the country was divided into the people and the politicians. And this had created a world where the politicians making the laws were no longer able to relate to the people who had to follow them. Where he differed was in his other views. Sure, he wanted to focus on fixing our economy and keeping production inside America, but he didn't want to tax our foreign allies. He wanted to tax the rich. And in order to stimulate growth, he wanted to give tax breaks only to small businesses instead of handing them out to large corporations. He also supported gay rights, stricter gun control on certain weapons, including an assault rifle ban, and even called for increased research into the AIDS epidemic. He was also incredibly pro-choice and a strong supporter of Planned Parenthood. He understood that it should be a woman's choice whether or not she's ready to have a child. I, I'd vote for him. This is a great platform. Well, okay. This is, See, all of that sounds really good, yeah. but he is also an, um, he is a, an insane billionaire. Yes. He is also of the mind that we were talking about of that like casual authoritarianism, Ooh. where like if he was able to have full unlimited control, he would probably do some good. But remember that he's also the guy that, like you said, sent a bunch of mercenaries over to fucking Iran and fuck shit up. So. Yay. Yeah, I see. I see the problematicness of that. Exactly. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He had some good views. I don't think he would have been a good president. But maybe most surprisingly of all was his decision to run as an independent. Ross believed that the two party system was flawed and caused all of the bureaucracy that people complained about. Like, for example, and this is just an example, it also happens on the reverse side. If you are a Republican, you might try to block an initiative put forth by a Democrat, even if it was a good idea, simply because you had loyalty to your own party. That's kind of what we saw with uh, when the government shut down during the Obama administration. Yeah. Is yeah. like they yeah. were even fighting about things that they had proposed when they're, you know, candidate was in office yeah. and it was just absurd it just got out of control yeah it's it's the split in the party system that has been growing for a really long time and it's not in this time frame it's not as bad as it will be later but it's still pretty fucking upsetting that it happens yeah. at all now aside from his political views there were several other factors that played into ross's favor first and foremost he was a crazy fucking billionaire and not a billionaire like donald trump is a quote-unquote billionaire he was the leader of an actual powerful and extremely successful corporation and had an almost endless supply of capital to just throw at his campaign which is a big deal because a lot of what other candidates have to do, they have to spend so much time fundraising and getting people to give them money and securing donors and all that shit. Ross Perot just came in and was like, what do you need? Yeah, here's a million dollars. Do it. I don't care. It needs to get done. He also spent thousands of dollars airing 30-minute spots on national networks outlining his policies and plans. He could also afford to travel literally anywhere at any time if his strategist decided that an impromptu rally would help raise his chances. Also, he fully embraced his position as an outsider. Rather than going into excruciating detail about what he planned to do as president, he focused on the general basics. 
He used very simple phrasing and a lot of summarization to make sure that even the most uneducated Americans could understand him. He was going after the common folk. Additionally, while the Republican and Democratic candidates fought over who would win their own nomination, because remember that election seasons aren't just about like which side is going to win. There's the primaries. So like yeah. there's a huge amount of time where everyone's fighting to even be the one that will go to the election. Well, and what that does too is we've we've kind of seen this happen again and again where during the primaries so much sort of negativity gets tossed onto all those candidates. So it's like they're fighting amongst each other. Exactly. And that is something that will come into play a lot on next week's episode. But while everyone was fighting over who could get the nomination, Ross Perot spent all of his time and money convincing the American people to just vote for a change. All of this gave him a very big advantage over his competition. Now, the effect that Ross Perot had on the 1992 election is still hotly debated to this day. Some people claim that he took voters away from the Republican candidate, H.W. Bush, Others claim that data shows he actually took more voters from Bill Clinton. I'm not gonna touch. Uh, I'm not gonna touch on that debate because, like I said, I'm a fucking dummy and I'm reading uh, articles and shit and not doing like the scientific research. What I can tell you though is that a lot of Americans really did see him as a viable option. He wasn't as old-fashioned and pro-establishment as H.W. Bush, which gained him the support of moderate and more progressive Republicans. This is because of his stances on gay rights, abortions, gun control, AIDS, etc. At the same time, he wasn't as radical or sleazy as the Democrat Bill Clinton. Because even back in 1992, Bill was under fire for having a 12-year affair with American model Jennifer Flowers. He initially denied the allegations until she played a tape featuring one of their lengthy phone calls, after which he was forced to admit he was wrong and apologize. Because of his money, media savvy, and a strong moderate message, Ross Perot's campaign was overall pretty fucking successful. He made it onto the ballot in all 50 states and racked up a very impressive 19 million votes, making him still the most voted for independent candidate in American history. Wow. And again, while he didn't do what he set out to do, Ross Perot's 1992 campaign showed that just four years after Donald Trump's quote-unquote run, a huge portion of our country was interested in a big change. And Ross wasn't about to let that go. He was planning on running again in 1996, only this time he'd have a team behind him. Ross Perot started the Reform Party with the intention of using it to run as a third-party candidate. But he quickly found out that the party attracted a lot of other outsiders who had political aspirations as well. And one of those outsiders was Donald J. Trump. Only Donald had different plans for the 1996 election. This time, he wanted to run for real. And that's where we'll pick up next week on the final episode in our series on Donald Trump and the MAGA coal. Yay! Yay! So now we have finally gotten into the nitty gritty of what kind of a cult this is. This is very clearly a doomsday cult. It's a cult where the leader is telling everybody this horrible thing is going to happen and the only person who could save you is me. But what makes it more interesting to me is that unlike other doomsday cults, once he finally gets the attention of everyone and everyone's like, okay, we're ready. We need you to save us. He's like, no, 
I'm busy. I gotta write a book. Yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, it it it's it's very strange. It's uh, we're seeing all of these different tactics that have been used in variations across different episodes, but like he has disciples. He has people that are rooting for him. He's also got a very good eye for what people are looking for. Now, granted that's something that's pointed out by all these other assistants and aides and helpers and shit, but he he does know that the American people are very much interested in a big, big change. And watching Ross Perot's entire election thing, it really gave him a lot of inspiration and even set some of the precedents for him becoming president later on. I think something else that Ross Perot did too is he was he was crazy in the media also. Um, like everyone thought he was nuts, but then every once in a while you'd be like, okay but that makes sense you know and I think that kind of also paved the way for Donald to be crazy and to have people be like but he's got a point yeah and to like you know uh, forgive the crazy if that makes sense it makes total sense instead of seeing it as like a huge red flag all of these tactics that we're talking about in the 1992 election are like the building blocks for trump's eventual run like he's getting in front of the media all the time he's trying to pose everyone else as the bad guy like even though trump ran as a republican he was like there's those republicans aka the establishment and then there's me who's very clearly not that so there's all of this you know there, there's all of this shit that goes into building what would eventually become his successful campaign and it's kind of fucking crazy that it goes as far back as it does. But before we kind of end this episode, there is one last thing that I wanted to touch on. And and I kind of talked about it throughout the episode a little bit. Um, remember that spokesperson for the Trump organization that basically uh, answered anyone's questions anytime they had to, you know, ask him about like, are you going to run for president or like what's going on with this or et cetera? Um, it turns out that that spokesperson was none other than Donald J. Trump himself. What? <laughs> what? Yeah. Hold on. This was an alias? Yeah. So what? I actually, I have heard this theory before. Oh, yes. baby, it's more than a theory. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Over the course of his business career and even his life, Donald Trump has used several pseudonames that were supposed to be either spokespeople or different employees for the Trump organization, including the time that he totally lied about a person existing and being the vice president of his company. That was just him taking both positions under a fake name. Is that legal? For money. That's a, no, no it's it not. That's not. a money thing. Yes, it is. When, and I only know this because when we had to file our paperwork to incorporate cult podcast, we had to decide what positions we each were. Yeah. Because you have to declare it and listen. Which yeah. one of you is the quarterback? <laughs> I'm the power forward. <laughs> yeah, and I'm the power bottom. <laughs> <laughs> that explains a lot. <laughs> so over the years, Donald Trump has used several pseudonames, including John Miller, David Dennison, and his personal favorite, John Barron, which would later become the name of his son, 
Baron Trump. He literally yeah. named his son after one of his fucking pseudonyms. And one of these are the names that he used, by the way, when he was doing stuff like trying to buy the Cleveland Indians, when he was answering <laughs> questions about his alleged affairs, and when he lied about his wealth to get onto the Forbes list because you have to be nominated by somebody else. He lied about his identity to nominate himself. I wonder if he's one of the people that nominated him for a Nobel Peace Prize because he's never won, but he's been nominated a bunch. Has yeah. he actually? And, like, yeah, Yo, yeah. anyone but can I be nominated I mean, for it. anyone can be nominated. I yeah, yes. Hey guys, if you're sitting at home with nothing to do, you should nominate all of us for the Nobel <laughs> <Yeah>. Peace Prize. <laughs> I actually, I'd like to request formally that you nominate me for the Nobel Cheese Prize. I feel like it's more on brand for me. Thank you. But before we let this go, my personal favorite was Trump's female persona, Carolyn Gallego, that he invented when his company came under fire for treating women poorly. So he pretended oh to be a woman. God, what? He pretended to be a woman named Carolyn so that he could tell the press about how well the Trump organization and how well Donald Trump specifically treated women. I sort of oh did something God. similar when I had to go on incel message boards, except the opposite, where I was a woman pretending to be a man, telling men that women aren't so bad. <laughs> Oh, it's great. Sometimes your girlfriend pets your head till you fall asleep. Isn't that great, guys? Yeah. That was it was the 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 pseudonym thing was just one of those it's one of those things you come across where it's like, "Wait. Wait, what? Excuse me, huh?" And there's no way to just like fit it into the episode. It is entirely its own thing, and it is fucking crazy. My favorite is my favorite is still David Dennison, though. It sounds like an alter ego for Doug Flutie, the superhero. It's it's like Agent Michael Scarn from The <laughs> Office. Like it's, it's it's that crazy. But it also sounds like like a fake guy in a hungry man commercial. I just love the idea that Donald Trump's actual life is just a shell game. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah. want you guys to understand how far this goes. He didn't just use fake names when he was writing letters to people. Sometimes he would have fake phone calls as these fake people where he would like put on a voice. I was going to say, did he have a fake phone call as Carolyn Gallego? <laughs> uh, yeah. So Donald Trump can definitely go to the field trip on Thursday. His mom definitely didn't ground him. <laughs> the Trump company treated me. He treated me really well. He definitely didn't honk my boobs and say horn if you're honking. <laughs> he also, and I cannot stress this enough, does not have a sexual attraction to pee-pee, okay? I know <laughs> a lot of people have been saying things, but that is not true. Fucking loves Jokins, though. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, he, he had a fake phone call with somebody. I think it was to talk about his marital affairs. And it was like an hour-long phone call where he put on, like, a fake voice and talked to the reporter for a long time. And then later, the reporter proved that Donald Trump was the person that she was talking to. And then he was he kind of was just like, oh, I, you know, it was like a joke. Like, I thought you got it. <laughs> You can't even say anything anymore. Comedy's so stupid. <laughs> you guys listen to Joe Rogan? <laughs> I I hate when a joke goes bad, like when a bit or something you're trying to do sincerely goes bad and people are like, you can't take a joke? Like, that's the worst. Yeah. 
Like, that's the thing when a dude hits on you and you say no and they're like, I wouldn't even hit on you anyways, you fat, disgusting bitch. And you're just like, whoa, <laughs> like, we just met. I don't even know you like that. <laughs> what? Right. Yeah. I. Uh, my favorite thing is when m- male comedians get angry that you don't get their joke that is just misogyny. Like, <laughs> it's like... Uh, some men really don't understand the difference between misogyny and a joke. Like they don't understand that those are separate things. I've been to many an open mic where jokes were not going well. And somebody yelled at the audience and was like, these are jokes people. And then an audience member was like, then they should be funny. And it's great every time. Every time. It's beautiful. I love it so much. Oh my God. So, this episode is brought to you by uh, Ross Perot's travel agency. Hey, <laughs> do, do you got to get out of a tough situation? Well, boy, do I have the guy for you. <laughs> oh, Every vacation is planned by a guaranteed man who has murdered somebody before. Oh. That was that 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 also by the way was one of Ross Perot's qualifications if he was going to hire you he was like I need you to have he worded it like you need to have been in combat and successfully place the bullets in the target they were intended to go into and it's basically the longest way to say like you got to you got to have killed somebody you better have a teardrop tattoo or you're not on the team. And my ears will know because they're always listening. <laughs> yeah, he didn't even have to like have surveillance on the thing. He could hear it from his office. Yes, yes. I feel like he saw the movie Predator and he was just like, hire those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Mostly for the handshake. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Yeah. Uh, but in reality, our episode is brought to you by our wonderful, amazing Patreon donor. <laughs> Uh, this episode is brought to you in part by Hannah and Hannah says hello to Tony Kansas and Tony Kansas alone. Okay, fine. (laughs) All right, Hannah. I see how it is. Just kidding. I love all of you. (laughs) Oh, I spoke too soon. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Thank you for all you do to make me laugh every Monday. Stay safe, stay healthy, and thank Jesus for the dome TM. Hell yeah, dude. Thank Jesus for the dome. Oh, thank you, Hannah. That was very sweet. <laughs> I just realized that thank Jesus for the dome could have sexual connotations. Oh, no. We're going to hell. That's the one that pushed us over. Yeah, I was going to say, no offense. You guys have done enough to go to hell anyway. So uh, much. But, we have a you know. first class ticket to hell. Yeah, I booked it using the Ross Pro Travel Agency. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he's going to get me there in style. Um, Yeah. If you want to learn more about our Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast. And hey, if you're looking for a new place to listen to cult podcast, might I suggest Rooster Teeth. Not tell them that we're still doing this. Please, <laughs> everyone just go tell Rooster Teeth you love us, but don't tell them to listen to the episode. 
um yeah we are on rooster teeth and you can find us on their website or by downloading the official rooster teeth app you can also get the app on your xbox your fucking roku your amazon fire stick you can get us anywhere and then you can put us anywhere you want to in your life and we will always be there for you we will always be there for you I'll be on Roku when you want to watch TV. I'll be on your phone when you're commuting and you shouldn't be looking at your phone because it's really dangerous and you're driving. I'll be there. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. So that, again, is roosterteeth.com or download the official Rooster Teeth app. (laughs) And if you want to send me your, uh, geez, if you. If you want to send me your flag design for the Colt Podcast official flag, yeah, which do needs it. needs to happen, Let your free flag fly. First of all, don't just limit this to me. Send it to all of us because, like, we'll yes. share. But this is something that you gotta tag us all in as a group. Uh, if you want to send me your dicks and straps, stars and dicks flag, dicks and straps is a whole extra freak flag. <laughs> just saying no kink shame and do what you want with your straps and your dicks but if you want to send it to me uh shoot it to me over on instagram or twitter at mondo does stuff that's m-a-n-d-o does stuff all one word i want to say first of all thank you to everyone that has been posting their big hair in the facebook group oh yes fantastic honestly probably my favorite thing i love seeing all your big hairdos i love the mohawks i love everything you guys have going on it makes me so happy um i also want to just give a shout out this is one of my favorite uh would you ever drink the kool-aid responses i've ever gotten it just says listen if it's blue raspberry anything could happen so we love (laughs) it's a delicious flavor we love when you guys join the facebook group we love when you guys hang out with us and talk to us in there and so if you want to join the facebook group definitely check it out um and if you want to send me your handmade shurikens or alternatives to the american flag that include a penis please send them to me on all the things at sundress comic or check out my art on instagram at andrea gazetta also your girl is now on tiktok so oh. yes <laughs> check me out at andrea gazetta yay because someone had the regular andrea gazetta handle it's just me painting and then it shows you the thing i painted that's it so far, I follow dog trainers, um, a wolf sanctuary, and a deaf woman who teaches you sign language. So that's really like what I have going on. If you have really cool TikToks, send them to me. I want to see them. And uh, yeah, that's it for me. If you find a snail that looks like Donald <laughs> Trump, or you can put a tiny wig on a snail that looks like Donald Trump, I want you to send me videos and photos of that Trump snail. You can send those to me at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram. I am also on TikTok at Rampage Wesley where I exist purely to send Andrea TikToks that I like and follow girls who roller skate, baking where people try to bake things on Great British Bake Off and fail, uh, Hannah Bread Talk and uh resin art oh yeah and hot guys sometimes hot guys with cats resin art is really addictive to watch people make it's yeah. so bad for the environment but wow it's cool to watch i know so great i mean not but you know for sure, for sure. <laughs> 
And if you want to follow us on Instagram, you can find us at Colt Podcast. Or at Colt Podcast Show on Twitter. You can also send us anything you want to, including designs for our flag, uh, to Colt Podcast Show at gmail.com. And if you make an actual flag, if you sew it with your own pubic hair to embroider the dick, <laughs> whatever you're going to do, oh, however you're going to let your freak flag fly. That is a freak flag for sure. You could send those to us at 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237. Like the Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. <laughs> And for this one, I'm going to say, don't drink anything yellow that comes out of a whale. Good call. <laughs> this, is... al this also implies the existence of a second blowhole just for cum, right? I mean, I guess. Oh, I would just worry because like, theory. either it's piss or it's ambergris, which is very valuable. So you don't want to drink it. You want to have it and give it to people for perfumes. Uh, and definitely don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Yeah.